Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Royal Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt DeBear. Matt, what's going on? I'm doing well, Bill. It is uh, it is a big week. It's land-grant week. That's, that, that's right. Uh, it's land-grant week. Matt and I are actually going to be watching that game together, uh, if you want to understand the magnitude of that game. Uh, but before we get to that game, uh, Penn State's game against Michigan State uh, on Black Friday in Detroit this year, we're going to talk about Penn State's game uh, on Saturday, 27-6 win against Rutgers. And Matt, do you know what I take a lot of solace in? This could be any number of things. Um, something with Manchester City. It's the fact that I'm an amateur at this. You're an amateur at this. Everyone associated with our podcast is an amateur at this. And despite that, every single one of us knew exactly how this football game was going to grow, go. It was a gross, disgusting slog uh, against a a Rutgers team that I don't think is that bad. Like, I think there's a good football team, a well-coached football team in there. Uh, but ultimately, Matt, 27 to 6, Penn State was able to uh, come out on top. And yeah, it, it's a uh, it's nice to say we all knew exactly how this game was going to go from the from the moment we saw where Rutgers was on the schedule. Yeah, and I think it was only crystallized um, as we've gone through the year, right? It's you know, we'll get to this as we go through, obviously, but the the offense for Penn State being what it is, what it's been really for the better part of the season. Rutgers being what they are, you know, um, like you said, a, a well-coached team, not the most talented team, but a well-coached team, mm-hmm. um, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, really tough, really physical. You got to kind of got to earn everything you get from them. Um, combined with this being the week after another tough loss to Michigan, it just had all the makings of, it feels like every Penn State Rutgers game for the last 10 years has gone like this, right? It's been mm-hmm. tough, physical. Um, Penn State wins for the most part pretty handily, but it's not easy getting there, right? Yeah. I'm, we, uh, give me a second, because I actually, you, you make a, an interesting point with how, how it just always goes like this. But last, this year, final score was 27 to 6. Last year, Penn State, you know, last year it kind of followed the the script that every Penn State game against Rutgers has followed, where or at the end of last year, followed end up being a fifty five ten game. Year before that, twenty eight nothing, the Christian Bayer uh, game, where you know, very some funny similarities where Sean Clifford ends up having to leave the game. Christian Bayer comes in and Rutgers just has nothing for him. Year before that, 23 to seven year before that, 27 to six year before that 20 to seven year before that 35 to six, the last time Penn state really uh, blew the doors off of Rutgers. Um, I I think I just kind of want to start with a general thing, Matt, where just how do you feel after a game like that? Because I think the fact that, we all, again, we all were kind of able to script out how this game was going to go based on what Penn State is, based on what Rutgers has been. I, you know, uh, Penn State was up 10 6 at halftime in this game. Michigan went up 14 7 at halftime on them when they played, uh, thanks to a field goal with like 90 seconds le- or a touchdown with like 90 seconds left. Ohio State was actually down, I think, 9 7 to them at halftime. I, I, I think that makes it a lot easier to not sit here and kind of be frustrated, at least like certainly people are going to be frustrated with this. I think kind of having that perspective, that understanding of like, 
going in, we kind of predict this makes it a little bit easier to not be too terribly frustrated about the fact that, yeah, Penn State didn't go out there and blow the doors off of uh, off of a team you'd want to see them blow out. Yeah, and it's I, – I hate – it sounds like excuse-making in my mind when I say it like this, but this is what the Penn State football team is. You know, we're, we're 11 games into mm-hmm. the year now. We've got one regular season game left this Friday. I, I don't think there's a there's there shouldn't be a whole lot that's too surprising. Obviously, with the, the offensive coordinator change, you know the the Jawan Sider, uh, Ty Howell, probably James Franklin to some degree, play calling mix. Um, you were going to see some differences, but at the end of the day, this is still you know this is the same personnel. It's the same. You're not reinventing the offense over the course of of less than a week preparing for a game. So I I, I think what what pleases me I guess about the game is they found the way um you know coming out we've talked about this for years you know coming out of the tough losses the emotional they put so much emotion so much into the Ohio State games the Michigan games these these big games and that letdown the week after we saw it against Indiana where they were out of sorts um and needed the last last uh fourth quarter touchdown pass to win that game um I thought that they were, they felt like they were more ready from the start in this one. Um, obviously, it wasn't pretty. It hasn't been pretty since the first drive against West Virginia for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. But they, they grounded out. And we'll talk about the whole quarterback situation here in a little bit. But they, they found a way. I was really impressed with the defense. Um, I think coming out of that Ohio State game, we saw a bit of a letdown, especially on the defensive side of the ball against Indiana. And it didn't really feel like that. You know, Rutgers moved the ball right down the field in that first drive but they did it on the back or the feet, I should say of, of Gavin Wimsat, who beat them three or four times with long runs and they figured it out. Um, you know, they got the help with the holding penalty and they, they held him out of the end zone. That kind of felt like the game almost right there that Penn state come on the ensuing drives comes right down the field, scores a touchdown, goes up, takes the lead and they never look back really. Um, and they just kind of found that way. They, you know, used what, what they could, what would work. They didn't make mistakes. They capitalized on Rutgers' mistakes and um, just, you know, found a way and, and never really felt like it was in a whole lot of doubt um, once they took that lead in the first quarter, at least for me. Yeah, it's actually very funny to and interesting to kind of compare this to the Indiana game where coming off of a really emotional loss just – a loss that could have very possibly defined their entire season. The Michigan game actually, in a way, kind of, you know, that did define it. I would say that was more defining in their season than Ohio State. But the way that Ohio State lost happened would have been really easy for Penn State to come out and just completely lay an egg and lose that game. But Indiana, they kind of had to dig deep and find something. And Rutgers, despite the fact it was close at halftime, and despite the fact that Penn State needed to turn to its backup quarterback due to an injury, which, again, is something we'll talk about a little bit, about a little bit later in the pod, I never really felt like, you know, I was manning the, I, I manning the pod's Twitter account for both of these, um, both of these games. And after the rut during the Indiana game, I just straight up tweeted, yep, they're losing today in the slack. You can find proof. You know, there are times where I was said to the rest of you guys, Penn state's losing this game. I never got that feeling on Saturday. Like, was there any point on Saturday, Matt, where you were just like, Ooh, something, th- this one feels like it could potentially get a little bit hairy or were you pretty, uh, cool, calm and collected all game? 
I think, you know, I don't think it was, you know, oh my God, they're going to lose this game. But, you know, Rutgers gets the ball after Penn State goes three and out to start the game and has a nine minute drive um, that results in that field goal. And you could see in that drive what Rutgers wanted to do. They wanted to milk the clock, you know, run the ball, you know, stay ahead of the chains um, and make life easy on Gavin Wimstead, not put him in a position where you have to have him make big plays with his arm to win the game. And I think the combination of holding them to a field goal on that drive, and then um, I made a comment, I think, in our Slack, that was a really good response drive. Obviously, they go down and they get the seven points, but it was how they did it. They kind of, again, they're not the flashiest offense. That's what they are at this point. But they made plays. They converted third downs. They stayed ahead of the chains. Um, Drew Aller hit a couple of nice throws. I want to say there was one to Liam Clifford on that drive. Um, you know, Over the middle, hit him right in stride um, for a pretty pretty big gain. Um, then they go out, they, um, Rutgers fumbles the exchange on the, um, like second or third play after that. And they get the field goal. Obviously they wanted the touchdown there. They probably should have had the touchdown if not for the missed pass interference on, um, Dante Cephas in the end zone. Um, and I think that whole, it all happened pretty quick, right? You know, they, they Mm -hmm. take the lead, they force the turnover, they go up 10, three. It never really felt like Rutgers was going to score 10 points you know, just the way Penn State's defense has played all year. Um, I guess, you know, playing, you know, the what-if game, you know, they could have made, they could have given up the big play. They could have, you know, had a busted coverage, something like that. But it never really felt like that was going to happen. It never really felt like it was going to happen against Indiana either, uh, for that matter. But to your to your, the question, no, it never really felt like they were going to be in a whole lot of trouble when they, they got that, 10-3 lead. Even they went in 10-6, Rutgers getting the ball out of the half. Um, it just never really felt like Rutgers has the personnel, has the offense. They don't want to They don't want to call their offense in a way that is going to try and hit that big play. You know, it's going to take a, a great individual yeah. effort, and Rutgers just doesn't have that guy. They've got good players, but they're not the explosive kind of players. Yeah, and you... I, I think that's a really good way to kind of start talking about both sides of the football for Penn State in this game. And the way place to start is Penn State's defense going up against Rutgers offense. Rutgers on the day, four for 13 on third down, 229 total yards. 61 of those came on that first drive. You know, Rutgers comes out, has that uh, really imposing first drive, 14 plays, 61 yards, nine minutes and one second. Rest of the game, they had 168 yards. They had three turnovers uh, on the day. Ran for um, ran ran for ninety nine total yards. Uh, if you just look at Gavin Wimsett and Kyle Manungai, thirty three carries, eighty yards. If you take out Wimsett's one twenty two yard gain, they had thirty two carries between the two of them. What sacks factored into them? Thirty two carries for fifty eight yards. And Matt, like, is there anything we could even begin to say about this Penn State defense that we haven't already? Because this was, I. I, I I would go as far as to say this is as imposing, as dominant of a performance as we've seen out of them all season. Yeah, really. You take out, uh, you know, to make a, a very lazy comparison here, you go back to the Iowa game where Iowa kind of is figuring, you know, has that first drive, they fumble, and the game's, game's over from there, right? And yeah. Rutgers has that first drive, they stall out in the red zone, they kick the field goal. That's kind of it. They they hit a couple, um, you know, I thought I was really impressed with Wimsat throwing the ball. You know, they, he was really in rhythm on the RPO game. 
Um, threw that really nice corner route down the sideline for the big game, big game that um, I believe set up their second field goal. Um, but just, you know, they, Rutgers goes as Kyle Manungai goes. Gavin Wimsett, yep. for as well as he played throwing the ball, especially on Saturday, he's not going to beat you with his arm. They just aren't set up. They don't have the personnel to beat you that way. So Rutgers wants to beat you with Kyle Manungai running the ball, Gavin Wimsett running the ball. After that first drive, Gavin Wimsett did nothing. Kyle Manungai did nothing the whole game. He averaged less than two and a half yards a carry. Um, he had a long of, if I'm looking at this right, nine yards, um, 16 carries for 39 yards. He never really got loose. Samuel Brown never really got loose. Um, they were just really, really solid. Um, in a game where it would have been, for lack of a better term, understandable to maybe let off the gas a little bit. And they're just not wired like that. You know, Chop Robinson had just the unbelievable day. I will talk about it here a little bit going forward. Kobe King, I thought, was unbelievable. Um, not the flashiest game, but was, was in on everything, it felt like. Um, Kobe King did one of the best Jason Cabinda impressions I have ever seen a linebacker. Like just when he gets down hit, obviously he's not the most athletic guy in the entire universe. He's always going to struggle a little bit against the pass, but when he's able to just get downhill, he sees a gap in the running game and get to a ball carrier. Like that guy legitimately is that is all big 10 caliber linebacker play that he is capable of when he is playing like that. Yeah, I, I thought the middle of the defense especially was very good. I thought the tackles allowed Kobe King. I thought Tyler Elston was good. Um, you know, he took some some deserved heat earlier in the year. He's, you know, like Kobe King, he's not going to wow you with athleticism or, or you know, some of the, the uh, um, freak kind of plays that you see from an Abdul Carter um, or Curtis mm-hmm. Jacobs. But I thought both the middle linebackers were really good. I thought the rotation of defensive tackles were really good. I thought the safeties were really good. You go down the spine of the defense. I thought they were really, really good because that's the part of the defense that Rutgers wants to test. And we've seen at times this year, that's where Penn State struggled is kind of up the middle against physical teams. And that really from the first snap, that's not how Rutgers was beating them in that first drive. It was Gavin Wimsack getting outside, um, probably taking advantage of the the aggressive nature of what Manny Diaz wants to do. Um, and then they adjusted to it. You know, after that first drive, like we said, not, they didn't really get anything. Um, and it was just a great all around effort. I think, you know, you didn't have the secondary, you know, having to make a whole lot of, um, great plays. You know, Johnny Dixon, um, would probably want a couple of those back, but you know, those were good throws and good catches. It wasn't like he was getting beat terribly off the line. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really all that they got was, you know, a couple of slants over the middle, you know, some big runs from Gavin Wimsett. And that was, that was basically it. Yeah. And we, we we we've, we've seen Kirk Shiraka's offense like in our stadium multiple times while he's wearing Penn State gear. Like we knew, like we could have guessed pre with some level of accuracy, some level of certainty. They're going to run the ball. They're going to try and be tough and physical against Penn State. And Penn State's front seven, just in general, had a really really good game bottling up their rushing attack. You know, you look at even a guy like Isaiah Izzard and Devon Ellis, like guys who. They've always been more of the dirty work kind of guys, but they really made it so there was nothing up the middle. And guys like Manungai, guys like Winsett, weren't able to just get through that first level of the line of scrimmage and then even pick up four, five, six yards. I mean, between, uh, as a team, Rutgers ran for 2.4 yards per carry. And then, like you mentioned, Kobe King deserves a lot of credit. Chop Robinson, whew, when he's able to, like, 
just fire out of a cannon, his ability to kind of bend off the edge. You know, it's unfortunate that he missed a period of time that he did because he just a menace out there. Then KJ Winston going out there, uh, getting an interception that he certainly made it sound like he's been waiting for that all season, made a really good read on uh really good read on where Wimsett was going to go for the football there. Um, and as a result, like, like you mentioned, outside of a couple of times where I don't even know if they were, think it was necessarily them targeting Johnny Dixon or anything. Like, I think it was just, we know that this is what we're going to have to take here. We know we're going to have to run this little slant, hope that works and hope that can get us down the field and it can only get you so far. And I think as a result, we saw a really commanding performance by Penn State's defense, one to send the fans home happy on the season. One final thing to kind of hang their hats on. And God, is, is there anything else that you think you want to say about Penn state's defense before we get, get to what I would say is the more interesting part of all this. No, I think the only other thing to add would be, and I um, can't remember who pointed it out, but that um, KJ Winston interception was on a very similar um, defensive call. If not the same defensive call that they got beat on, on one of the long passes against Indiana where they, they blitzed, both uh, Dixon and King off the, the edge and um, Winston didn't fill in well on this play. He did it. it the, the overhead view that uh, FS one show was just perfect. You know, watching three and four come off um, on the blitz, Winston rotates down and just like, you know, for, for a, an amateur football nerd, uh, like, like you called this earlier, it was kind of really cool to see just how that all kind of worked and, you know, the call working to perfection and everyone doing their jobs appropriately. And obviously a guy like Winston, who's, who's had a good year kind of getting that, that big play in the home finale. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm glad that you gave Fox credit for the one thing they did well all day, because I, the, the camera work was just a little bit off. It seemed uh, Robert Smith, like I, I'm not a hater of his. I think he tends to be pretty good, but Chris Myers, man, I, um, I, I think before the game, Matt, I want to give you a lot of credit for this. Uh, let's see if I can find exactly what you said. Um, putting Robert Smith with Chris Myers, your exact words is a crime. So, uh, congratulations to you for getting that one right. Uh, I've, I've been subjected well, to Chris Myers on NFL calls. Um, as most of you know, I live in Detroit, and so we get a lot of Lions games on Fox. And pre the last two years, the Lions tend to draw the short straw in broadcast crews. So it's a lot of Chris Myers. And I think it's like a rotating cast of characters who they pair him with. But he's just – there's a lot of um, – Gus Johnson and Chris Myers. And what I mean by that is, Ooh, ooh is, I, is I, very I, unaware I, I think, of what's going on. Ooh, I don't, I think it's Tim more Tim Brando. Ooh, that's end, where he just like has, he just like has a voice that I think old, like old white TV executives think is like commanding. And uh, it's not, he's actually really bad at his job. Uh, but let's actually move on real quick to talk about some people who aren't really bad at their job. Uh, and that'll be our fine friends over at home field apparel. Of course, if you're a long time listener to this pod, you know, home field apparel uh, is our, has been our sponsor since we decided to go podcast only home field apparel has been absolutely incredible over the years. And of course, holidays are coming up so you can get plenty of stuff uh, from them for the holidays or for yourself. If you want to get something for somebody else, yourself, whatever it might be. I actually think, uh, 
they are in the middle of like their big uh, Black Friday sale. And if I, I think they tweeted something out that said their biggest seller on the first day was their gorgeous Penn State bomber jacket. So you could take advantage of that sale. If you want, you could take advantage of the sale that you get by listening to this podcast by using the promo code RLR23 for 15% off of your first order if you're a first-time customer. Uh, go out, get something for yourself, get something for uh, a loved one as we're approaching the holiday season, whether it's for Penn State, whether it's for another school. But as long as it's your first order on Home Field Apparel, use the promo code RLR23 for 15% off of your first order. Uh, thank you again to Home Field Apparel for sponsoring this podcast. Let's get into talking about Penn State's offense uh, as we discuss their win, 27-6 win over Rutgers. And Matt, I guess my only question for you uh, is where do you think Drew Aller is transferring when Bo Perbula becomes Penn State's starting quarterback starting next week? I'm I'm uh, going to punt on that one because I, I think that's a non-story. <laughs> yeah, I... Maybe, maybe a little premature there. Yeah, I... I the backup, it's the old adage of the backup quarterback is always the most uh, popular guy on campus. Uh, and with how this season has gone and the circumstance that Bo got thrown into, it is just like, it was, you could have written it in the stars that he was going to get into a game because Drew gets hurt at some point and, uh, and put up numbers and suddenly get the calls of should Bo start, should this, this is. But having said that, Matt, like I didn't think Aller had a bad game. I did not think Drew had a bad game in the slightest. No. And I know you, you dug into this a little bit more than I have, so I won't, won't ramble on too much, but I thought he was, he was fine to good, you know, um, you know, missed the long pass to Dante Cephas thought through a beautiful pass to Omari Evans, um, who was great to see him as he's still on the roster, made a nice play. I thought he threw a really nice ball to um, Liam Clifford that I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, could have had two touchdown passes, had the one, um, the pass interference that was called, I think it was Theo Johnson with the intended receiver. Um, you know, that really nice touch that he throws to the back pylon. Um, could have had another on the Dante Cephas, no call pass interference. Um, I thought he was, he was fine. I thought he was one of the things that I, it's, it, he looks awkward doing it, right? He's a big six, five kid, mm-hmm. two forty. He's not, He's not Bo Perbula running the ball, but he's, you can see the confidence with coming with when he does run the ball. You saw it um, kind of post Ohio state was the, the first time we started to see him either on design runs or just tucking and running when that's what was there. Um, you, you see him running with more confidence and he's got the big long stride. Um, he's a big physical kid. He's, you know, not afraid to hit, take contact, which, you know, cost him, the second half of the game yesterday or on Saturday. Um, mm-hmm. But you, you, he's, he, I, I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast yet, but it feels like the things that he needs to work on aren't the things that you get better at in the middle of a season. You're too busy game mm-hmm. planning, you know, um, you're prepping for the next week. Um, you've got class, you've got all these other things going on. The things that he needs to work on, you know, confidence, seeing the field better, you know, catching up to the speed of the college game, all those things that we've talked about before that takes time. That takes bull prep. That takes off season. That takes film room work. Um, And I think not to get way ahead of ourselves here, but that's, I think one of the great storylines going into the next season, assuming he doesn't transfer, right, Bill? (laughs) Um, But Mm -hmm. no, I, I thought he was fine. I thought he, you know, we saw against Maryland, we saw that next step. And unfortunately it didn't 
carry over to, you know, a tough Michigan game, but I thought he looked okay um, in his limited time against Rutgers. Yeah. And basically the way I break I broke Drew's game down is there was Drew before Nick Singleton fumbles uh, where he was six for 10, 79 yards. He's not reinventing quarterback play by going six for 10 for 79 yards, but 7.9 yards per attempt. Pretty nice game for him considering what we've seen out of our most of the season. And then you look at what his incompletions were of those four incompletions. One was on the opening drive where I've never seen two guys drop a pass that hits them in the hands on the exact same play. But Dante Cephas and Tyler Warren both did that. Second down, second drive. They put him under center. He does that play action roll out to the right. Rutgers defense plays it really well. Dante Cephas can't get open. Uh, Theo Johnson can't get open. That kind of edge defender who is supposed to be in conflict there doesn't bite, goes at Drew, and he just has to burn it. The third one, that Cephas drop where Drew kind of, you know, they're going for the touchdown that they got with Cephas against Maryland. And Drew could have put that a little bit farther out ahead of him and had him run under it. But for the most part, I think it's just, it's a really good play by the defensive back. You know, a little bit of contact that Cephas, that totally legal, but Cephas isn't able to reel it in. One of those things where I think you just mostly tip your hat and move on, even if Drew absolutely could have put it a little farther out ahead of him. And then fourth was, uh, that third down slant to Cephas where I thought there was defensive pass interference that went uncalled. The referees disagreed with me. Ultimately what they thought is more important than me. And then you go, so six or 10, 79 yards off of that. And then drew play throws three more passes all game. First one, they're in the shadow of their own end zone and second down. I'm almost positive. Dante Cephas runs the wrong route. And if he runs an out route, like he's supposed to, instead of a little hitch route, it's a 15-yard completion. They're moving the chains with two minutes left in the first half, starting to build up a little bit of momentum on offense. Play after that, it's a third and 10. There's a pass rush. He just kind of tries to throw it to Cephas. Nothing is happening there. And then there's the play throw where he burns it because he got hurt. So that's how he gets a six for 13 for 79 yards and a pretty unflattering game for Drew Allen. And then you look at the stuff that he did well. A couple of strikes to Tyler Warren or a strike to Tyler Warren, a strike to Amari Evans, a beautiful throw to Liam Clifford, and then a couple of uh, shorter passes, check downs to Theo Johnson and Katron Allen. Matt, my kind of theory on this entire season is that they need to use these last couple of games. These two games, of course, if Drew can play in them, plus 15 bowl practices, plus next year, plus uh, the bowl game to get Drew ready for next year. I thought this was a good step in the right direction. And then, of course, he gets hurt. Bo Perbula comes in. And to talk about Bo for a bit, I don't think, like, I think Drew Aller is definitely Penn State's uh, best option, a quarterback, best quarterback. But I definitely think there is something to it feels like this Penn State running attack, at the very least, would have more juice if Bo Perbula was their quarterback. Yeah, I think we... You know, the, the proof's in the pudding, right? Um, and, and, you know, Prabula's numbers are, are great, 8 for 71. He had the really long run. I think it was in his first snap, or first series at least. Um, you take that out, he's, you know, seven carries for 42 yards. You know, not, you know, not terrible by any means. But like you said, Bill, it really opened up 
Catron Allen, and especially Nick Singleton. And I, I feel bad for Nick. He had the fumble on kind of a tough play. He finally breaks the big run, gets banged up. Um, And then, you know, we've, you've seen a little bit of talk about it. I'm sure just like I have on the, the fumbled snap that went for the last touchdown that's going to Nick and he's going to, he's going to score. You know, they've, they've got the blocking set up exactly how they want it. The, The center quarterback exchange is fumbled. Bo picks it up, runs it in. Um, Nick was, in my mind, understandably kind of upset. You know, he, he finally had, you know, a little bit of momentum, you know, some good things going, and then that happens. It just, it feels like that's been Nick's year. Um, but it was good yeah. to see him, you know, break the big run. Um, the Rutgers guy, I thought, made a, a nice play to, to um, force him after 20 or 25 yards. Um, he had another carry on that same drive that set up the, the goal line play where he hit the hole really hard. And again, I thought he was, you know, again, the story of his season. He, he's one guy away from, from getting to the end zone. The guy makes a nice play, yeah. um, but it was as aggressive, I thought, as he's run, as, as aggressive as he's hit the hole yeah. all season. And whether that's because he, you know, he you know, had some good things happen, he was seeing the hole better, if that's because you know, Bo is, is forcing the defense to play the run game differently, we're amateurs. I, I, I can't look at the game you know, in light, real time and tell you that. But it felt like at least with the running game, Bo's presence kind of gave them a little bit of a jolt that they just haven't had most of this year. Yeah. Uh, Singleton on the game. Um, one have it pulled up here. 11 carries, 61 yards, uh, 5.5 yards per carry. If you look through his game log, 61 yards is he had is he had 79 against UMass, 80 against Northwestern, 70 against um, 70 against West Virginia. But 5.5 yards per carry is the most that he's had all season and the most since he had 9 for 48 yards against Ohio State. And as you mentioned on that drive, Matt, uh, four carries for Singleton, 43 yards, really started – he looked more comfortable in that. And we have a question at the end that I think that I think we can use to kind of – dive into some of this bow package stuff using bow a little bit more um etc but when i look at just this game specifically i mostly think that we saw penn state really benefited from the fact that they could just lean on rutgers like i think at a certain point rutgers fought and fought and fought and i think they deserve a lot of credit for how they fought but it's a thing that uh, Sean Fitz mentioned in his uh, first impressions piece. Penn State had nine drives on the game and scored on five of them. It and it, that just doesn't seem right. Uh, like it, with how gross a lot of this game felt, it doesn't seem right that Penn State actually had a pretty decent game on offense altogether. Uh, I, I, I guess my question is. When we look at this game and kind of try to project it out for the next game against Michigan State and then the bowl game, do you think there's anything that Penn State could really take away uh, and maybe try and implement, try and use? Or do you think this was one of those games where uh, Drew's injury ultimately just made it such an outlier that it's hard to take too terribly much away from it? Well, I think yes and no. I I think big picture – it's not, you know, you're not, you're not going to see Bo Perbula becoming Penn State's quarterback. 
and but James Franklin alluded to this after the game. They've wanted to get him in the game more, and I think part of that is because of what it allows them to do in the running game. And whether that's part of the issue that led to Mike Yersich being fired, we'll never know. Um, but you've seen it. They've brought him in in kind of situational spots in the goal line to run, you know, the obvious quarterback power play. Um, but we, we saw on Saturday, I think, why you can't, why it's not this big picture thing. They don't trust Bo Perbeel to throw the football. He threw one pass. It was a little kind of modified RPO with the little toss. So I think it was Warren um, who, you know, had the nice 10 or 12 yard gain. Um, he's thrown even in, in garbage time. The one pass I remember is the the controversial one against Northwestern. Um, he just, they haven't. Don't, don't, no, no, we're not calling that controversial. People with chronic gambling brain made too much. You, you didn't say, I was doing the air quotes thing when I said it. I don't know, but sure. anyway, they clearly there is, I think, some trepidation with Bo Perbula putting the ball in the air, and they were fortunate against Rutgers. If he has to play against Michigan State, I don't know if you really need to put too much on his arm necessarily, um, but I think you'll see them try and work him in more, regardless of what Drew Aller's health status is against Michigan State on Friday and then wherever they play in the bowl game, um, just because it brings a different dimension to this offense. Yes, it's obvious, um, but I brought this up frequently when they would, um, I think it was the Levis package, because they didn't really run a whole lot different with him. It was always quarterback power. I use the Tim Tebow analogy, and obviously he's kind of a, a unicorn to some degree, but everyone on the planet knew what they were doing when they brought Tim Tebow in as a freshman. He was getting the ball. They were running quarterback power. And they were going to get three or four yards. It was just, they were so good at it. And I think there's, there is a place for something like that with Bo Perbula. It allows you to give a defense a different look in the running game. It allows them to have, it forces the defense to account for another guy in the running game with the quarterback. Um, I honestly think, and I mentioned this earlier, not that you're going to start running, you know, read options and whatnot with Drew Aller, but as he's gained confidence running the ball, I think you can use that to some degree the same way you've used Prabula. You know, it, it you you force the defense to have to account for something else. And with Penn State's lack of game breakers on the outside, you have to do something to get that running game going. And this is, I think, something they can use these last couple of weeks. And I think you know, regardless of whoever the new offensive coordinator is, um, you, you even see it with Michigan, you know, as great as they are running the ball with, with Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards, they use JJ McCarthy running the ball, whether it's design runs or, or read plays. Um, a lot of the best teams in college football use their quarterback like that. And it's not, you're, you're not using him to try and, you know, like trace McSorley, you're not going to run the ball 15, 20 times a game with your quarterback in most cases, but it's something to have in your back pocket that gives a different look that can open other things up for you. Yeah. While you were talking there, I actually went in and did, did a little bit of the math drew on the year, 66 carries 177 yards, 2.7 yards per attempt. If you take out his 12 sacks for 94 yards, he's at 54 carries for 271 yards and five yards per carry. And that doesn't include the fact that that 
a lot of the times he is sneaking it. Uh, he's just trying to pick up one, one and a half yards. So I, I, I think just to kind of get the numbers right, there is a way to use Drew's mobility. Unfortunately, it led to him picking up uh, what hopefully, you know, I'm not going to knock on wood because my dog is sleeping, but knock on wood led to uh, just a stinger that'll hopefully lead to him playing and being fine against Michigan State and then later in the season. But you get that element of being able to run the football with your quarterback, which then makes it a little bit easier for your running backs, which then maybe that causes the no- them the opposing team to have to sneak, you know, bring their safeties down a little, bring their safeties down a little, play things a little bit tighter. And next thing you'd know, there's a little bit more space for a guy like Dante Seavis or Keandre Lambert-Smith over the top. Uh, the fact that we're talking about this being a thing they could take forward after game 11 isn't particularly reassuring. Uh, but I think that, you know, we've seen, we've seen that this offense, you know, it's a take that I kind of fired off while chatting with our friends, um, our friends yesterday, Matt, but to me, they built, you know, we'll actually use this now as a jumping off point. Uh, to answer uh, a question from Rich Caruso on Twitter at knit seven, eight, he wanted to know why has this offense gotten worse as the season has progressed. And to me, I think there are basically two problems. One is that the teams they're playing have just gotten a lot better. You look at Penn state's schedule, Matt, and they start the year, West Virginia, fine on defense, nothing like stellar, but they're fine on that side of the ball. Delaware's FCS, Illinois, Again, fine on defense uh, with a couple of game records who gave Penn State a lot of problems. Iowa, a good defensive team Penn, that was one of Penn State's most best all-round performances of the year. Northwestern, they were stuck in the mud for a bit. They eventually got out of it. UMass, really bad team. Then the back half of the season, Ohio State, Indiana, Michigan, Rutgers are all teams that at the bare minimum are well-coached on defense or really talented and well-coached on defense with a bad Maryland team plugged into there, and they firebomb that bad Maryland team. So I think that's part of it. And then kind of the more concerning big picture part of it for me is that I think the entire idea of the offense was our receivers are absolutely horrible. And if we don't, or we don't trust our, I apologize. Let me take that back. We don't trust our receivers nearly enough. And if we don't scheme around the fact that we don't trust them, we're doomed. And also our quarterback is a five-star with a rocket launcher of an arm that we have to play every single snap. And they're just two things that I don't think necessarily match up. And there's a reason why when Penn State is able to kind of pile on the points in the fourth quarter when Bo and the backups are in, things tend to make a little bit more sense. So what are your thoughts on that question from Rich? Why has this offense gotten worse as the season has progressed? And if part of the reason is just the schedule has gotten worse, just like move Pat, I, I think, you know, that's kind of an implied part of this entire conversation. I don't know if I'd agree that they've gotten worse. I think sure to, to your point that, you know, they played Michigan and Ohio state in there, um, which I think as fans, as a program, as Penn state as a whole, so much went into those games, so much was expected of those games that those offensive performances were so bad that I think it kind of, you know, drags the whole, just the whole second half of the season down. Mm -hmm. Um, They were really good against Maryland. They were okay against Rutgers. I thought, like I said earlier, Um, I didn't think it was any better or worse than what we saw two months ago. Um, 
you know, you mentioned the Illinois game. That wasn't a very good offensive performance by any means. You know, Drew Aller was you know, 13 of 30, 14 of 31 or something like that. Um, you know, they were really stuck in the mud for that game, and it took the, the five turnovers um, to get that going. They weren't very good against Northwestern for long stretches. Um, I think, you know, taking the Ohio State-Michigan thing out of the equation, I think a lot of it is other teams have figured out that this is what Penn State is, and it's and it's not a tough defense yeah. to game plan against. Um, and I think we as fans have grown more and more frustrated with what the offense is. We keep hoping and expecting, you know, some semblance of a next step, and it just hasn't happened. So I think, you know, as you're coasting along at, you know, a comfortable 35 miles an hour, hoping that you can hit 45 or 55 or 70, when you're stuck there, it feels like you're falling further and further behind just because nothing's really changed. So um, as a whole, statistically, yeah, I'm sure they have been worse because of those two really tough games. Um, I just think this is kind of what, like I said earlier, kind of what the offense is. It's not good, um, but I don't know if I necessarily would agree that it has gotten worse um, over the the second half of the season. Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning whether this, you know, whether this was a fair thing, whether this is a fair read on, whether this is whatever. If you were taking it at face value, the offense was also coordinated by someone who the head coach thought he had to fire midseason for the first time he has ever done this sort of thing, and then spend an entire week after that going, yeah, man, we've actually like been collaborative this week, and we've actually put together a really good game plan, and I trust that we're going to follow it. Like these, these are nice. I like this. Like that. That is that has to be part of the equation here. But ultimately, I think the big thing is that like they just got a little bit too far. And maybe this is something that you could talk about over the course of the entire season. I think in the West Virginia game, we saw a Penn State offense that, uh, you know, we saw kind of the fully idealized version of what this Penn State offense could be. Drew Aller throwing the football down the field, big plays in the passing game. Um, unsurprisingly, that was the game where Trey Wallace caught seven balls and they had a legitimate third option at receiver and Malik McLean. I'm sure that's not a coincidence. Drew Auer throwing the ball down the field, looking cool, calm, collective, confident in doing that. Nick Singleton ran the ball for 5.4 yards per carry. Katron Allen for 5.1 yards per carry. Didn't break those big plays in the running game, but we kind of saw what this offense could be at its best. And then whether it's because Trey Wallace gets hurt and nobody becomes the clear-cut second receiver, let alone the clear-cut third receiver. Whether it's because the running backs just don't really get, you, you know, the running backs just aren't as explosive as they're supposed to be. You know, uh, Aller isn't as isn't playing with that kind of swagger that he played with in that game. All these various things over the course of the entire season, like, of course the offense is going to uh you know struggle is probably str struggle is the best way to say it also all saying they were they struggle they're 23rd nationally in offensive sp plus so like i think if you squint matt you could see a really good offense in here you could see an offense that has stuff about it that you like it's part of why i think this is 
this if you're an offensive coordinator this is probably a pretty appealing landing spot for you uh even considering the fact that you know Olu's moving on uh Hunter Norzad's moving on all these sorts of things but like ultimately I think there's just so many things working against them including a bit of a miscalculation on what they had to do to compensate for the position that they didn't think was up to par that we probably should have just seen this coming. Yeah. I think um, (laughs) I'm trying to formulate a thought in my mind here and it's not going very well, but no, there, there are the the thing that I kind of grabbed onto is, is this is an appealing spot for whoever this Mm -hmm. next guy as the offensive coordinator is. Um, You've got, you know, a, a, you know, all, you know, performance, you know, questions aside, there's no question that Drew Aller is a super, super talented kid. You know, he's you know, 6'5", 240 guys that can throw the ball the way he does and can move the way he does. Don't grow on trees. You know, that That's, yeah. you know, step one. You've got a quarterback that I think there's a lot of guys in this country um, that coach college football would really, really love to get their hands on. Um there are two super talented running backs. Um, there is a pretty deep offensive line. To your point, they're they're losing their top ten pick at left tackle, but they've got a, a handful of guys that I think there will be a drop off. But it's not we're not going back to twenty fifteen by any means. Um, who knows what you know? Who's coming back at tight end? But you've got you know even if if Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson both move on, you've got. Um, Khalil Dickens, you've got Andrew Rapley, you've got the freshman Luke Reynolds coming in. That's a top 50 player. Mm-hmm. That's got to be, you know, Penn State's recruited tight end as well as anyone other than Georgia in the country, really. And I think creative offensive minds love that. You know, guys that create huge mismatches like that, you know, look, look at what Georgia's done with Brock Bowers. He allows them to do so much on offense because he's he's a unicorn that, you know, is six seven or whatever he is, you know, 260 pounds or whatever he is can run, can catch, can block. That's appealing. And you've got, you know, all critiques aside, you know, about, you know, James Franklin medals and, you know, this and that other thing. I go back to 2016 and 2017, and he gave the keys of the offense to Joe Moorhead. I think Mike Yersich had the keys of the offense, maybe more than he should have, based on some of the things we've heard. Um, Ricky Ronnie got to do what he wanted to do. Um, you have the opportunity to come and, you know, make a lot of money. You know, let's not kid ourselves about that and work with, a, a you know, and run things the way you want to run things with a pretty talented group. This is going to be, I think, a really appealing place for mm-hmm. um, in the transfer portal for skill positions. Um, you know, that wide receiver room is wide open. Um, even if Keandre Lambert-Smith opts to come back and use his COVID year, um, I mean, there's, there's no number one by any means. There might be a couple of number twos or number threes. Um, but there's a lot of a lot of opportunity there for for talented wide receivers to work with, you know, what I assume will be a pretty um, appealing offense with a quarterback that um, needs to improve on some things, but you know can make every throw in the book. Um, I don't know. I, I'm you, you know you know I'm an optimist with all this stuff, and like you said, there's there's elements of a good offense somewhere in there. They just never really have been able to put it all together at the right point. Um, and that's that's the missing ingredient here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, 
I, God, I just keep thinking about that throw that Auer had to Omari Evans, thinking about a couple of the, you know, throw he made to Liam Clifford, throw that he made to Tyler Ward over the middle. And like, th- there's, e- even though Dante Cephas had a couple of chances to catch balls and just never did, Keandre Lambert Smith didn't get targeted in the game. Like, there's just stuff to work with here. And hopefully that leads to um, bigger and better things in the not too distant and in the more distant future. But before we get to that, Matt, let's hand out a couple of game balls for uh, this game. Who gets uh, your offensive game ball, your defensive game ball. And then I don't know if you want to say something nice about Alex Falcons, go ahead and say something nice about Alex Falcons. Well, I'll, I'll start with this, the special teams in general. I've, you know, all year, Alex Falcons and, and Riley, um, Riley Thompson. Um, yeah, Riley Thompson. I don't know why I blanked on that. Um, uh, something that we thought was going to be a weakness, especially after the way Sanderson Heideck struggled against West Virginia has really turned into, um, a true strength. Um, so full credit to those guys, but on, on offense, I want to go with the whole offensive line. I think it'd be easy to go with Bo Prabula or, or the running backs. Um, but I thought a lot, especially once Drew Aller went out, a lot of, um, this game was put on the, the shoulders of the offensive line against what is a, a tough physical Rutgers defense. Um, and I thought they were, they, they were really, really effective. They, they opened holes, you know, Penn State threw the ball once, once Drew Aller went out of the game. And they were, you know, effective moving the ball really, you know, the entire second half. So full credit to them. Um, I alluded to that earlier. I thought Kobe King was unbelievable on defense. Um, you know, Chop Robinson had a great day. Um, denied Dennis Sutton, I thought, made a couple of great plays. Um but Kobe King, I thought, um, and I made the comment in our Slack. This, this is the Kobe King game. He was the, he was built to play this kind of game, um, downhill running, fill the gap, physical, you know, standing up guys in the hole. I thought he was he was really really good. Yeah, I will also say uh, I will also say Kobe King. I mean, I think that he, uh, again, just his ability to his ability to see what is happening in attack is something that you really want out of any linebacker, but particularly the middle linebacker in a defense where you want to free up Curtis Jacobs and you want to free up Abdul Carter to be those more like havoc game record types. I mean, how many times during the, uh, during the 2016 season in particular, did we see Jason, Jason committed just being such a smooth, steady presence at the heart of that defense mean a guy like Brandon Bell is free to be a little bit more of a, again, more of a game breaker type at linebacker. And I think Kobe King showed off that he is the potential to be that kind of guy at the heart of Penn state's defense. And I hope he continues to be that kind of guy at the heart of Penn state's defense. Uh, Falcons again, I, I want to make sure he gets a shout out because if he doesn't make that 48 yard field goal, you know, consider what happened the drive before that. That's the drive where Drew Auer gets hurt. Bo Prabula comes in. Third and two, Prabula runs it, gets stuffed, gets one yard. Apologies. Fourth and one, Rutgers four-yard line. Bo goes in there, tries to sneak it. Just not especially great by him. Stuffed. Rutgers gets the ball back. Pretty good punt by them, considering the circumstances where they're punting out of the back of their own end zone. And a fourth and one comes up. We know they don't that what just happened on that last drive. James Franklin decides to send his kicker out there. If Alex Felkins misses a 48 yard field goal on the heels of that, with it still being a 10 to six game, 
I'm not going to sit here and say that Rutgers goes on to win this football game or anything, but it gets tense inside of that stadium. So I think you need to give Falcons a ton of credit for that. And then you said the offensive line. I'm just going to say the running game in general. Everyone involved in the running game, I thought, did an excellent job, um, especially after our went out. I think they all did an excellent job of uh, just letting that be a consistent thing, not making sure that Bo Perbuel was never in a situation where he has to make a big play with his arm. And, you know, for the whole, should Bo, you know, should Bo play more? Absolutely. Should he start? Absolutely not. Uh, and I think a big reason why is because I just don't think they trust him with his arm, but they trust him with his legs. Offensive line did everything in their power to make sure he could do things with his legs. So credit to the everyone involved in the run game uh, for that. Yeah, I think that's it for Rutgers, Matt. I, you know, we'll do a full Michigan State preview a little bit later in the week. Land Grant Trophy is on the line, uh, as it always is when these two teams square off. A Michigan State team that has been through a whole lot this season. They're sitting at four and seven, two and six in conference play. Uh, they had the potential to really end this season on a lengthy losing streak, but last week they were able to pick up uh, a close late win against Indiana 24 to 21 coming into this game ranked 82nd in SP plus 117th offensively 49th defensively 18th on special teams. Uh, as we've mentioned on this pod, you have married into a, a Michigan state family. Just what are your quick thoughts on this game um, before we, you know, wrap things up and head on to uh, head on into the rest of this week? No, I think it's, it's going to be interesting. Obviously the short week for both teams, neutral site at Ford field in Detroit, um, to, to your point, they, you know, this, this was really close to going totally off the rails for Michigan state. Um, you know, three weeks ago, they get the win against Nebraska at home. Um, you know, then they go, go to Columbus where we all know it was going to happen. Then they ground out a tough win against Indiana yesterday, uh, or on Saturday and they've kind of righted the ship. Um, I, I haven't <laughs> You say I'm married into a Michigan State family, which is 100% true. Bill is not making anything up there. <laughs> the The challenge is, what, with the way this year has gone, my Michigan State fan wife has not wanted to watch them very much. Um, I have been Why? told to turn the game off multiple times. So I, I don't know as much about them as you would otherwise expect. I think... Um, Closing this game, the season, their season out. They're not going to a bowl game, but I think this is the chance for them to have a you know close the season with a couple wins, beat a top fifteen Penn State team, um, get a little bit of momentum. Um, I, I don't think you're going to see a team that's going to roll over by any means. Um, I think they've kind of found some, some stuff. They've won two out of three. Um, if if one or both of those wins had gone the other way. I'm not sure that you can say the same thing. You know, they're, they're just playing out the string at that point. Um, but I think there is a little bit of a, you know, let's try and end this thing the right way. Um, their head coach is, is, you know, a former player, Michigan State alum. Um, you know, he's, you know, been put in an unbelievably difficult spot. Um, but he's he's kind of, like, like the rest of the team, figured some stuff out. You know, they, they haven't, you know, mailed in the season at this point when it would have been very easy to, given everything they've gone through. So, I, I think it's, I think it plays out a lot like this Penn State season has. I you know they're different than Rutgers, they're different than Indiana, but it's that kind of, I think ultimately at the end of the day the talent discrepancy is what ultimately wins out, um, and I think Penn State, um, 
you know, playing for another a 10 win season, playing for the chance for another New Year's six game. I think for all everything that people want to complain about with James Franklin, he's done a great job. You heard the way the players talked about him after this Rutgers game. Yeah. Um, guys want to play for, for him and for this staff and for Penn State. And I think the chance to go 10 and 2 um, and go to another New Year's six game in back to back years after the two previous years, I think that means a lot to this Penn State team. And I don't think you're going to see, you know, you're not going to see a team that, you know, kind of just, you know, shows up and wants to play. I think they're going to be motivated. I think both teams are going to be motivated. I think it's going to be probably not a very pretty game to watch, but I think it'll be a, a, a well-played game and a good game. And I think, you know, like I said, I think talent ultimately is what, what makes the difference in this one. Yeah, we probably should have mentioned this earlier in the pod, but I think Theo Johnson and Devon Ellis both gave like speeches talking about how much they appreciate Franklin. Theo after the game, Kobe King after the game, both of them like talked about how much they really love their coach. So Mike Kosicki said nice something after the game. He was back Kosicki. on campus on Saturday. You know, it's I've made the comment to you, Bill, several times in the last few weeks that um, you know, again, say whatever you want about James Franklin as a football coach, but I don't think you can ever question the culture um, that he's built in that locker room. You're going to have knuckleheads. You've got a hundred and some, you know, 18 to 22 year old kids. You're going to have some idiots in there. Um, but by and large in the now 10 seasons, believe it or not, he's been here. These have been good teams um, as far as, you know, the, the, the locker room factor, the culture factor. And I think he mm-hmm. deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, especially given that so much in, in this year, especially was put into those two games that didn't go their way. Um, it would have been really easy um, after both the Ohio State and the Michigan games to just kind of, well, you know, you know, here we go again, kind of thing. And they haven't, you know, they they found ways, yeah. they've played hard, and you know, they've 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 represented the, the team and the program very well, which I think, um, you know, is, isn't a isn't the most important thing, but it's not a small thing either. I think it's a testament to um, what James Franklin's built and the way they'll finish this season out. Yeah, and then just to end by saying a few more things about Michigan State, uh, Kaiten Hauser has taken over as their quarterback. He, you know, not lighting the world on fire by any stretch of the imagination, but does like there are times where there's just like a little bit more juice to their team compared to when Noah Kim was under center. Nathan Carter's done uh, a, a an okay job as their uh, number one running back. I think their main guy Jalen Berger got hurt early. In the season, they have a really good tight end, Malik Carr. Uh, their passing game, not especially like dynamic by any stretch of the imagination. And then on defense, a pretty solid running. We'll talk about, again, we'll talk about this later in the week. Pretty solid running defense. You could beat them through the air. You could beat them uh, pretty easily through the air. Uh, I'm look, looking it up right now. But in terms of yards per attempt, uh, I believe they're, they're just inside of the top 100. Yeah, they're at 7.8 yards per attempt allowed, which is 88th nationally. Um, running defense, I believe, is a bit more stout. So interesting game potentially if Drew Aller is healthy and able to play. Interest, I'm interested to see if they're going to turn him loose a little bit, want him to try and win this game a little bit more uh, with his arm because if he can do that, you know, the comparison that I made uh, – not directly, but 
you look at how the big thing, you know, we started getting some signs with Joe Burrow that he was going to have a big final year of his college career in those last couple of games uh, for LSU in his final year. He did not throw a single, have a single 300 yard passing game in any of his first, I think nine. uh, Yeah. Any of his first 10 games that season and then ends the year 370 yards, two touchdowns, 71.4%, 65.8%, 270 yards, three touchdowns, 61.8%, 394 yards, four touchdowns. And, I don't think Drew is going to do anything like that, but these kind of games, you know, you want to focus on this season. You want to try and win out uh, this season for your seniors to say you did it this year, to say you won a New Year's Six game, all that. But it's an opportunity for him to have something to build on going into this final stretch of the season. So I'm going to be keeping a, going to be keeping a really close eye out for that. Um, yeah, I think that's everything for this edition of the pod. Matt, any final things to say before we send the people off to their week? No, I, I, uh, as you mentioned earlier, you and I will be watching this one uh, somewhere in the central Ohio area. Um, I, I don't know what to say about that. That seems like a, a huge risk on, on both of our parts, but here we are. Have, have we have we ever watched a game sitting next to one another? I don't. Be, like if we, we have, I don't we remember it. The Big Ten, yeah. Like we've been at the same game before. I think the 2015 San Diego state game, I think Nick took your ticket. So you weren't there for, I, I can't remember that. I was not, I don't but, think I was at that one, but yeah, we were, so we were both at the, yeah. we were both at the, uh, the big 10 championship game in 16. I'm sure we've been at, you know, whiteout games and stuff like that, but no, this might be our first right. time where we can actually give each other shit uh, in the same room in real time. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. We we, should, we we need someone to film this, and we can let you know. I don't know, sell it for you know podcast support or something. I don't know. Yeah, we'll put that on the pa- Patreon that we don't have and doesn't exist and probably will never exist. Uh, thank you, everyone, as always, for listening to this edition of the podcast. As again, go wherever you go to uh, get your podcast, subscribe. Uh, if you use Apple Podcasts, please go leave us a five-star review. If you use Spotify, please go leave us five-star there. Drop us a question in the Q&A feature. Uh, if you use YouTube, go and uh, subscribe to us on YouTube and then hop into the comments to talk about Penn State football with other Penn State fans or fans of other teams who come in to talk with us there. Uh, follow us on Twitter at RLRblog. And again, Thank you to our sponsor, Homefield Apparel. Please use the promo code RLR23 for 15% off of your first order if you were a first-time customer. One last time, thank you everyone for listening to Roar Lions Roar. For Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.